0: I saw the whole deaf and dumb school healed on mats. And I turned around and I saw their teachers crying because they'd lost their job now. Joy is actually a skill. Contentment is actually a skill. These things come out of maturity.
1: What I would say to my younger self, there is a life available for more joy and more meaning and more adventure, and more satisfaction. But it's a life that you cannot get independently.
0: Most days, I eat a fairly conservative diet. Of I like- conservatives?
1: <laughs> you
0: cannibal, you monster. I mean, like, you know, it's free of refined grains. There's no sugar. It's like sort of the thing mm-hmm. that... I aspire to. But today, that was not true. Today, I think what I'm feeling right now is the fact that we actually needed to photograph a stromboli.
1: For it, a, it was for science.
0: It was a real project. <laughs> we couldn't find anyone in town that made a stromboli. So I called an Italian restaurant, figured it was pretty simple, asked them to make one for me. It was. And if that was not enough, then this pastry showed up from, a, from the coworker down the hall from Polly.
1: Yeah, yeah that one that croissant. one we didn't need to eat. That one wasn't for a project. That I one just, just ate. it was showed up like it was the answer.
0: I actually though, had been asking Jesus for a croissant for about 10 days, so that was timely.
1: You know, Jesus has you employed gainfully and you have the ability to go buy a croissant. That's that's an unfortunate point. You you're not
0: the only one that makes that where when I ask Emily, my wife, what she would tell people about money, like, what, what few principles she would communicate. She goes, uh, I would make it very clear that whatever the avenue of your provision is, it comes from God. Like, when she was extremely poor, like, I mean, extremely, uh, after she left her house and was living on her own, someone gave her a car, and her friends were like, I mean, we keep in mind, this is the kind of car you give away. Nonetheless, it happened, and her
1: friends were like, I wish God would give me a car. And she was like, Yeah, but when you say that, you mean like, You mean like a brand new Porsche or something. You don't mean like the $200 beater the person couldn't actually sell. Yeah, it was like a $200 beater of like a Taurus that had been like partially
0: destroyed. Um, Fantastic automobile. We gave it away to someone right before we were married. Anyway, that's
1: not what today is about. (laughs) No, they were talking about food. Today's about food. And what are you putting it? No, it's not about that either. Today is about a very simple
0: thing, and it is reflections upon what are you learning about a life with God right now? This is a great question you can ask yourself, you can phrase it a number of ways, but what is becoming clear to you, or what is something that is calling your attention in life with God? Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first?
1: Well, I'm just immediately struck by the fact that this is one of those questions that when you ask people, they tend to get intimidated and overwhelmed and start shutting down. Um, Because I feel myself doing that right now, actually. And yet, it's really the question that we're all sort of asking, but in other ways. Like, what's been going on? What are you up to? And we sort of tend to look at our feet, look at the world that's like four inches in front of us. but actually, if God is who He says He is, and we are who He says we are, then He's present, and he, <laughs> most things you are doing and the ways you're responding, you are having a, a dialogue with God, whether you are intending to or not. And so, yeah, you can go first, but I just I almost want to go like easy, E-e-y. Whoa, girl, no need to to balk at the question of like right out of the gate, massage around the area first. Whoa. That's actually funny.
0: Not the massager on the air part. <laughs> what's funny that is... That was for you, Scott. What's funny is, just this morning, I was listening to a different podcast with a guest who we're hosting shortly being blown away by the quality of this person's thought, an artist. And I'm currently working on, you know, some art sort of after everybody's in bed. And I'm sort of stuck at like, man, but what I don't have is like the the sort of lifeblood of this piece. I know how I want to make it, but I don't know a subject. And I'm like, well, maybe, I just don't think I'm that contemplative of a person. I'm like, it's not like a go around. I'm not like thinking about something right now. So, maybe lower the bar to go. We probably know that person who like has a book under their arm. I'm thinking of two right now who are like always sort of thinking about the way that faith is symphonic or thinking about the way I know that, you know, the way that darkness interplays with light in God. And I'm like... I have a confession. Wah. I don't know
1: that I've ever used the word symphonic.
0: It's a book title. That's why I used it.
1: No, well, just at 29, never used that word before.
0: It's Truth is symphonic. Von Balthazar. But there are things that have been striking me recently that are like extremely basic. And spread. if you just look at enough time, then I actually do have some thoughts about like... A life with God, just not every day, certainly not every week. There's been this very cool thing happening where I could look at the past several months and Jesus just sort of pointing out to me where does Christianity come from? Where does faith come from? This happened in two stages. The first one, I'm reading The Problem of Pain, which I mentioned earlier. I'm not reading it right now, I was. And Lewis just has this observation where he's like, you know, belief in God really just comes from two places. At which point I go like, it does? And and you know what they are? Thank you, C.S. Lewis, for thinking about these things. And he goes, one is an experience of what we call the numinous. and um, Who's the we in this case? Humanity. Humanity uses the word numinous. Humanity has an experience that scholars label numinous. Okay. But to grasp the numinous, you would think of like, here's Lewis. <laughs> Can you example. say that on
1: a recording? Can you, is that, is that PG? To grasp the numinous? <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: man, I'm gonna take your microphone away. <laughs> but he goes, here's what the numinous is. Is if you were to be told that in the next room, there is a tiger. And in a moment, they're going to open the door. I would feel a certain kind of fear about what this tiger could do to me. And he goes, however, if we were to tell you in the next room there is a great spirit and in a moment we're going to open the door, I wouldn't actually be afraid because of what the spirit might do to me. I would be afraid because it was a spirit. There was a quality in this thing that provoked a response from me. And most people, if you begin digging into their spiritual life, and you begin digging into sort of like some changeful experience for them, it's like you get to these stories where they encountered the Newmanness, where like, people will call it like a spiritual experience. but there's this thing that sort of Lewis thinks is fundamental to humanity, I think it is, too, that we're sort of haunted by a feeling of a mysterious power behind our experience. Overshadowing our experience. And in the novel The River Why by David James Duncan, it's one of the best sort of like explorations of this ever where the novel builds to the point where just fishing on this river, the protagonist has an encounter with God via like suddenly feeling a sort of like descending and enveloping him, the presence of what the narrator names the ancient one. And so, Lewis, faith comes from two places. The first is like the numinous, the spiritual quality of experience, which you can define in a lot of ways, but you can never like put it in a box.
1: Numinous, also the name of the submarine they use in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea.
0: That is the Nautilus.
1: <laughs> Same difference. <laughs> that's <is> freaking hilarious.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> What's the other thing? What's the other, word the other used, one? The other one.
0: Well, he goes, the other other one is, it seems to be foundational to human beings that we identify with moral law. And no one, like, needs to explain fairness. And actually, fairness is intrinsic to creation. And I'm sure there's a really cool argument there because it goes beyond people. It seems like woven, right relationship is woven into the universe. But what that looks like for people is, like, as Lewis goes, he's like, give me some of your cookie. I gave you some of mine. Like that, that argument right there is appealing to a shared standard of like, it's right to be generous with those that are generous with you. And he simply goes, so we have a spiritual experience and we have moral law. And he goes, where knowledge of God comes from is where those suddenly intersect. He's like, because, you know, you can be a very spiritual person but never think that like the moral law is anything besides a code of human conduct. You can be the opposite. You can be like an ethical person who's like, it's good to be fair, but never go, the spiritual actually impacts me. But when you go like, oh, what we feel as moral law is actually revealing to us a way that we were meant to live. And moral law is in fact, Uh, written into creation by that numinous being. And it's like, and then he just goes, so you have those experiences. And then he goes, all that happens with Christianity is you get this bit of news from the ancient world where they go, yeah, God became incarnate. Here is how he has, you know, maintained a place for himself within humanity and like something in a person responds deeply to that reality blew my mind. First one was just like, oh, that's like really helpful. And I thought that was the whole point. Turned out Jesus was just laying sort of a groundwork for something that he was actually going to do a couple weeks ago with our home church where someone is, you know, in this sort of church program and they are connected with, I think it's 24-7 prayer movement, Pete, Greg, British Jude. And he just sort of did this, you know, teaching on a, on a paradigm, on a lens through which to understand the world. Let's look at this. And it was just, you know, one of those moments you're like, oh, my goodness, it's so obvious. But what he just talks about is like, Christianity is about the presence of God. Like, you have the presence of God in the garden. Then you have sin. And so you have like, you know, the loss of the presence of God among people. But Jesus creating for himself a people among whom he can dwell. And like, you can read the Old Testament. It was like, how do we steward this space in which the presence of God can remain among human beings? And then like, it gets shrunk to the prophets. It goes silent. It finally shrinks to the person of Jesus on the earth. And then it begins expanding outward again. And we're like part of that expansion. But he had this throwaway line. And he was like, you know, we're out here because we have had an encounter with the presence of God that has deeply transformed us, and we are out there to draw other people into that presence. And it was like, yes, yes. Say that again. We are here because we have had an encounter with the presence of God that has transformed us. We're out there to draw people into that presence. And I'm like, wow, most of the time, I don't know, I'm like very much persuaded by God. Um, I'm compelled by Jesus. These things sort of begin to come in and simply reducing it to like, no, 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 we are here because God is wonderful. And when we have an experience with him, we want to draw people in, which is a way of saying like, we seek God for the joy to be had there. Obvious though it is, it was mind-blowing because so much of my time feels like life is pretty demanding. Thank God, Jesus makes a way where there is no way, whatever that means. But in the meantime, it's like, you know, me and initiation and the desire to like live a life with God and just reducing it again to like, no, 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 all the things that you do, you're actually seeking to meet God for the joy to be had there. And Emily is awesome about this because she'll remind me like, You know, your life isn't whether or not you believe in God. Your life is about whether you enjoy God. Because the demons believe in God, but they do not enjoy him. That's what I'm struck
1: by currently. For me, the enjoying piece feels a little far away. And what I mean by that is that I think that when there's things that are being revealed and worked on, they they can feel like work ra- rather than feeling like opportunity and joy and intimacy and like a fabulous experience. So, stories. We just had a staff prayer time last week. Um, actually, they're on Tuesdays. So, when the podcast goes out, you know, I publish the podcast and then I walk in the other room and we sit down as a staff and, and pray and talk about what's been going on. And um, last week, we had just released the Bart Gavigan episode with like crazy stories of miracles and this posture of like I know who I am I know and I know who God says I am and so I'm gonna live like it I'm gonna walk like it and there's no if ands or buts about it and I'm sitting there going like Wow this is this is amazing and then we go and have this this prayer time where we've just we're just acknowledging there has been an experience of unbelief and of discouragement and just getting hit by all this. And there's been several different events. They were were kind of in between as, as far as like the ministry goes. And so there's some warfare attached to that. But I I was in there going like, yeah, I need to admit something. We just did this podcast with Bart and his incredible stories of witnessing miracles firsthand. And now he thinks, they're actually not all that great. It kind of depends on what happens next. That They're the beginning of something. We're like, wow, a miracle in itself would just kind of be amazing. And yet I had been praying for my daughter who's got this eczema, skin rash all over her. And I had to kind of come to terms with the fact that not 1% of me actually believed that my prayer was going to miraculously heal her. Um, I felt like, my prayers were doing good, that I was contending for her. It's, you know, something for our hearts to enter into it. And that maybe, hopefully over time, a month, a couple of months, this will clear up. But zero percent of me believed that it was going to be like, snap your fingers and her skin is totally healed. And I was, I just needed to like confront this. I'm having this phenomenal conversation, this podcast about miracles. And then I turned around and in my own life, have to admit that this kind of skepticism and unbelief in certain areas had totally crept in, and I think it's still probably hanging out. Because if you ask me, do I now believe that if I went and prayed for my daughter that she'd be like miracleized? No, I still don't. I t- I totally still do not. I am able to admit it. I am standing there going, I need, to was I need to break these agreements and the alignment that I have with unbelief in that area, and I did, and I think I'm called to continue to do so. That's what I'm struck by, the contrast, at least in our stories of you're talking about a joy, enjoying God. In this moment, I don't know that I am in, quote-unquote, enjoying God's presence in that area, because what I feel in that area is just kind of more taxing, more need, more frustration, more angst on someone else's behalf. And I would like to say that I am faithfully stepping into prayer on their behalf, but that's actually bullshit. What's my faith in that? That they're going to sort of eventually over time be healed, but not because of the prayer, because of all the other things we're doing on the physical element. And I do not want to go down the rabbit hole that is well, sometimes that actually is the answer to prayer. And, you know, the very thing I just threw at you about the croissant earlier, like, well, you've got money, so you could go fulfill this. I mean, like actual prayer working immediately for that. And that's something that we've had to corporately kind of acknowledge that we have this posture here that that immediate healing and transformation can come for the heart, but not necessarily physically. And there are other organizations that have the opposite. It's like, yeah, no, the blind are going to see, the lame are going to walk, but you're going to basically be broken and, you know, continue to sin all your life because that's really what you are. And we're like, no, your identity and no, your heart's going to be fine and you're going to be like that. like oh. so that's where I am with God. Um in my walk, it's not this moment of like learning something cool like sonship or walking in more authority or having this like i finally developed the four keys to having a quiet time in the morning. It's, oh, crap. I need to acknowledge that there are these areas where unbelief exists. And yet, um, and this is something that I landed with and, and needed to voice for our time of prayer as a staff, it is things like that that also gives me the greatest belief. To be able to look around a room and see... Loss and death and betrayal and abandonment, and everyone's story, fresh stories of death and disappointment. And to go, wait, these people are all still choosing God. These people are not living hunky dory lives where everything is going just fine. And because everything's just fine and super convenient they're really happy to the guy that's making that all happen. It's going to be smooth sailing and, and green pastures from here on out. It's like, no, these, these are real lives, real brokenness, real pain. And in the midst of it, and because of it, and through it, not around it, they're choosing God. And that makes their choice and that God, to me, so much more substantial and powerful and worthy because everything was just easy easy. Then you get to choose someone. It's like, well, that's not actually a choice. You're just choosing an easy way. But if something is really, really difficult, like most people's lives seem to be, and then they're choosing God, it's like, oh, what? Is, I want to know. I want to know who you have a relationship with because that doesn't seem to be the natural choice.
0: Yeah, it's pretty mind blowing. It's actually with the help of your wife. That's something that was becoming very apparent to me in anticipating Easter this year, was sort of looking at, oh my gosh, we worship God for his ability to occupy death. The fact that he went into death, went ahead of us, and then broke its definitive power, but simply being like, In John 5, where Jesus is like, the time is coming where even the dead will hear the gospel proclaimed. You're like, wait a minute. Or like Psalm 139, even the darkness is not dark to you. And just wanting to stop and go, like, that is an insane thing to go, like, you aren't, not only can you see in the dark, but you're pointing at a deeper thing here, which is that you are not an alien to those places, you are Mm -hmm. not a stranger.
1: Right and being like,
0: that is so heavy. Are you serious? Like,
1: yeah, I remember hearing one time a, a sermon that might be doctrinal. Uh, it doesn't matter, but um it was about Jesus is crying out, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me while he was on the cross? and the the pastor was whoever was talking about how Jesus had taken all the sins of the world, and because God can't be associated with sin, God turned away and was separated from him. And I understand. I went to a Bible college. I understand all of the theological dissections of God and sin and separation. And yet Jesus went into death. Jesus walked through it. God continues to fulfill his own covenants that we can't meet. And it continues to turn to us and and keep inviting. Um, And so he's not this God that just has his arms crossed and is like, well, as soon as you step into darkness where things get difficult, or death, I'm not there. I'm kind of like some 60s hippie flowery shirt dude who like, I'm an eternal sunshine. And if you're in the sunshine, I'm here. Be like, no one's going to follow that guy. We're going to find that guy and string him up because that guy is just so disconnected from reality. But God continues to enter into that. It does not feel like it. I remember around our miscarriage and the burial. Susie wanted us to sing together the song that is well with my soul. And it's written by the man who just lost seven children and his wife in a shipwreck. Something like that. Like, I mean, it was someone who feels like they just lost everything and they're able to write the song that is well with my soul. And I was just dumbfounded in my own moment of grief to go, somebody else in a similar moment or one much more horrible was able to go. I still choose you, and you are still here, and it will be well. Um, show me, show me another religion where that happens. Show me another god that that gets sung to, and I'll be interested. But so far, it's just the one. I just want to put like
0: labels on two things that you are naming in um, a really profound example about suffering and about disappointment with God. I was sitting with some friends recently. One is sharing a passage. This isn't actually that recent, but it's sharing a passage out of Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline. He's talking about prayer. He's explaining that there are lots of different forms of prayer, which is helpful to know. And then he goes, you know, but really prayer is the way by which we co-determine the future with God and we sort of know how our prayer is going by if it's working, if it's producing effects. And I would just sitting there going like totally divided down the middle, going half of it like, yes. Half of it going like, no. The act that matters or like some other thing to sort of cover a lot of disappointment. So the two things I would name about pain, two responses in a life with God. I, one, I would like, sort of loosely label awe. And it's the you are here, God in this. And if like you are in suffering, it's pretty remarkable to look at the way that Jesus is able to live inside suffering as no one else can and just be like, as you were just saying, like, are you kidding me? Show me someone else who does that. It's another psalm. I think it's 24. It's in the 20s. But it's like, even those who go down to dust will kneel before you. And it's like, even the dead find themselves confronted with the presence of God. And there is a level of like, ah, there. I think the other one is letting disappointment, as we did on the prayer time you we are referencing, actually like... Expose things in our belief with God, and this isn't like a one-time thing. This is like a spiritual practice. This is a part of my spiritual life. Is to go, wow, uh, I feel like I prayed for Finley the other day and was pretty much fifty-fifty on like I'm going to watch the eczema like fade
1: off of her foot. It was fifty-fifty. Sounds phenomenal. Was, Try zero, zero, <laughs> like a, a, just a flat zero. Fifty fifty could have been generous. And then the other of like,
0: you know what I'm, I'm developing a capacity right mm-hmm, now by mm-hmm. praying for Finley and blah, ba-dee, blah, 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 but to go like.
1: Justifying nothing happening.
0: Right. And I think that it actually is an opportunity for me to go, what has gotten in, in my like belief about what God is like which is sort of where the prayer time went of like, what is getting in at one of the enemy's primary targets, which is my belief about what God is like, that he actually wants me like to renounce on principle without feeling anything else, but of like, I feel like I'm going to pray and it's going to do nothing. And then I pray and then nothing happens. And I feel like God like forcing the issue with me of like, and therefore what? And what do you believe? And like, I'm like, I don't know. You have better things to do or you're wishy-washy or something like You're not there when I, and then all of a sudden I like see what one of the real issues is, which is an experience of like, you aren't there when it counts and being like, oh shit, that is an agreement that has at various times really made my life with God difficult. There's like a really practical side of this, actually. There's a super cool moment the other night in my backyard where we did Nansen's an podcast on the life with God. He asked Padre, why is it hard for men? What do you have to do? He named some things like adventure, uh, finding God in the things that you love. And that's the one right here that is like, oh, if we're finding God for the joy to be had there, what do I really enjoy where I could be finding God? And I kind of was just talking with some guys of like, hey, I've had a hamstring injury for almost all of this year and been unable to do, it's no secret to our listeners that we're big triathlon and movement fans. And to be unable to basically do all of that for several months has totally disrupted this place that I enjoy and and then find God in something that I love. And I was just talking about how like, I had just sort of been doing these other things with like cooking and being really intrigued by them, but not naming that God was actually trying to meet me there. And he actually had to like confront me with when I asked, man, I feel like I don't have enough hours in the day, Jesus, to like make food. Do I really like doing it? And he just said like, keep after it. And then he he was the one who named, when I finally was like journaling after weeks of being irritated. And I mean weeks of being irritated with God for holding out on me. He was the one to name like, keep cooking because I'm meeting you there right now. And I was like sort of dumbfounded. But this really cool moment followed of like, Stunned silence in the backyard, as like one guy names. I'm just trying to think of what that would be for me of like, what would be the thing that I really enjoy where I could find God? Because Padre gives it as a super simple example like, find God in the things that you love. And just I would go, pause, name what are some of the things that you love that you could use as a location to find a life with God? And it took an incredible amount of effort for like guys that really love God to like think about what that would be because simply life takes over, we default into rhythms, and there's not a lot of thought of oh, it's actually okay to think about things where I experience joy and to prioritize those and move towards them as site to experience a life with God.